The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. Hey man, uh, on the Nyla Rose thing, to be honest, uh, a little confused. A little confused. I'm pro-LBGT alphabet people thing. All oh, the return, the return. Is it is it the high spot on your podcasts gimmick? Is it the high spot on your podcast app, whether it's Apple or Stitcher or Spotify, any of the ways that we are distributed? Is this the highlight? I gotta know. Let me know. You can let me know that and anything else that you want me to see at KFabeSean on Twitter. And uh, the show is uh, at KFabeP for podcast. You know, if you type KFabe podcast, I think it's somebody else. So we are at KFabeP. But I'll see it also if you tweet me at KFabeSean. Listen, here we are again. I. You know, the a recurring theme in wrestling, it pops up every once in a while, is addiction and drugs and it's, we, listen, over 12 years, throughout 12 years, I should say, on Kayfabe Commentaries, we dealt with this. We talked to people about their addictions. Um, we've had to, uh, you know, carry people out of the set. Uh Although we've been very lucky, we haven't had too many instances where uh, people uh, showed up in no condition to work. And and I don't know. Maybe they were just very tired. Um, but they seemed uh, to not be able to uh, forget about doing an interview, uh, walk. So uh, who knows? Maybe they're very tired. But uh, So we've been very lucky on our sets, Des- despite the people that, that you might hear about. I mean, you you know we've worked with people that have had drug problems, documented drug problems. And we've been lucky in that we haven't had our programming compromised uh, by any of this. I don't think anyone on camera that I can remember on a KC show was high or, or drunk. Well, all right, you shoot Sandman. He did part of the interview from the floor. But uh, listen, that was also part of his gimmick, you know, the Budweiser deal. Um, he turned into a producer that night. It was unbelievable. Every time we, you know, you shoot the show, for anyone who's not familiar, is the fans ask questions. And they're broken down into chapters. So, like, all the questions in this chapter might deal with uh, ECW. All the chapters, all the questions in this chapter might deal with uh, drinking. So... At the beginning of each new chapter, he goes, he leans in as I'm starting, like, okay, next chapter is ECW. He goes, we should start with me cracking a beer at the beginning of each chapter. I'm just going to hold up my arm and and that'll start the chapter. It was unbelievable. Produced by Sandman. So in, in considering addiction, wrestling is always scapegoated. When somebody dies at 40, 45, you know, the Rick Rudes of the world. And 
Louis Spicoli. God, I mean, you can go on for I mean, there. There are a lot. There, there are too many uh, to sit here and name, but you know who they are, and you know when they pop up in the news. And so wrestling as as a sport starts to then fall under the microscope, right? We we have the age old argument about about addiction. Are the percentages in wrestling disproportionate to the rest of the world, to other entertainment forms? Maybe all of entertainment, wrestling included, is just higher than the regular societal numbers, and that's you know I'll 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 take that I, I'll definitely accept that as as perhaps being true. However, we have to look at wrestling here and say that the the percentages are probably higher. They they've got to be higher. I don't know the numbers, but they've got to be higher. Certainly since the pain pills, right? This was this was the turning point. This was the turning point. The pain pills is when things went crazy because the initial availability of pain medicine came out of these guys and girls working in the ring and needing assistance in getting the fuck up the next morning. Forget about, listen, forget about the fact that they're going to go bump like that again tonight somewhere else and they're going to get on a plane or if we're going back a few years, they're going to sit in a car for four hours with their knotted up elbow, what are you going to do? Go to the doctor and not get booked? This was the sad reality. If anyone ever did a, a real in-depth expose, and maybe this is an idea for a future book of mine. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of studying the lay of the land now, considering another wrestling book. And this wouldn't be a bad one, talking about uh, having to work hurt. Working hurt. Don't steal it. Don't steal it. It's here. It's copyright you can't copyright a title anyway but it was born out of that so if you take someone with the propensity to party already okay listen wrestlers back in the day i'm not talking about now where they want to be on jay leno jay leno listen to me listen to my fucking when they want to be on jimmy fallon but in the back in the day these guys were one step removed from the carnival i mean these guys were were renegades in a world of nine to five. These guys were out on the road. This is the time before cell phones, before internet. They just put themselves out on the road for months at a time doing the territories. So now these guys with the propensity to have some fun at the hotel at night, now comes an age, 80s, where, 90s, where some pain pills are coming into play now. So is is that to say nobody abused any kind of drug before? No, of course not. I mean, we had. I mean, I, I remember Rick McGraw, who was a an underneath guy, quick draw Rick McGraw, who used to do enhancement matches on TV and in the arenas. I'm standing at the Meadowlands Arena in the parking lot, the Brendan Byrne Arena at the time. And Dick Worley gets out of the car. I used to like a the mark of marks. I used to stand in the in in the lot. I knew where they would park their cars by the by the entrance, and uh, and I'd stand there and get pictures and, and autographs. And Dick Worley got out of the car and said, uh, "What a bad day! Rick McGraw died today." And I remember everyone going, "Rick McGraw." He was like twenty five. Rick McGraw, and you know he didn't. Hey, I don't even know if anybody had any details, but uh, so yeah, there, there were premature deaths back then too. However, 
the party lifestyle partners with the pills. And now now it goes berserk. Because so, now they're taking them not just to get up the next day or to perform the next day. Now they become recreation as well. So it turns into, as Kevin Nash famously said on our edition of You Shoot Together, he took, we asked him what the, uh, what the record was for pills. 33, I think it was Percocets. Oh, no, Somas. I think it was Somas. 33 Somas. They split 100. Him, Scott Hall, and a, and a third party. And Scott contended that because he took the 34th in that three-way split, that was why he was in such bad shape that night. But this is what I'm talking about. These guys, 33 Somas. Think about 33 Somas. And this is a night of drinking as well. They're at the bar. They're drinking and 33 Somas. Miracle half of these guys lived. Miracle. We didn't have more tragedies. So what happens? One dumb decision after the next, okay? The, the booze, now the pills that they may have had to go to sleep that night or they may have had to, as a muscle relaxer, um, because of the pain. Now that becomes part of the pub. That becomes part of the partying. On our KC shows alone, we've had... People tell their personal stories. Scott Hall, of course, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, Sandman, openly talked about uh, drug use. Uh, Shane Douglas, who got himself off of pills, a harrowing tale about him locking himself in a hotel for a few days. That was on our edition of Breaking Kayfabe. So what happens now? So now we we are in a disparate. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Fuck you, you care about what I think. But people ask me, and it's a topic always on the show, and it's going to be a topic again today with our guest. So I'll get my opinion out of the way right away. For as critical as I am of the big machine that is the WWE, where a pro wrestling company's decision is based on shareholder expectations, I just think, could you have more two more polar opposite forces at work there? Their uh, rehab uh, program, where anyone in wrestling, because they basically bought everything wrestling-related, anyone in wrestling can be put through a rehab program at their dime if they request it. You've got to say, is there a motive? And, you know, you go right to the evil corporate machine, right? You fucking guys are crazy. But I'm with you. I understand. You go, what's the motive? What's the motive here? What's the motive? Is it is it uh, to put a little shine on them? Look good? Magnanimous work? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's part of it, right? You want to be able to tout those things to Wall Street and investors and anybody else and look good as a company. But listen, let's be total cynics and say that's the only damn way they're doing it. Maybe there's a legal net that gets created when you offer free of cost, at the expense of WWE entirely, you offer a rehab program to anybody in wrestling that might have been hooked on something. Even if you've never worked in WWE, I believe that's the case. So is there a legal net for this? Are they some way less liable in a lawsuit? You know, Are they indemnified in some way if they offer anybody help that wants it? I don't know. Let's be total cynics and say, yeah, that, that happens. Even still, I've met the people, I've worked with the people, 
I've seen them slur their, slur their words at times. I've seen them cry when confronted. And all in all, let's be total cynics and say that's the reason WWE's doing it. It's still probably worth it for them to do this. Forget their motive. They're offering help. And so many of these guys needed it and probably still do. All right, at this time where horror movies based on books are coming back, It, the popularity of It, and remake of Pet Cemetery, all these Netflix series are based on thrillers. Great new supernatural horror novel out there called Transfer by the brilliant author of fiction and nonfiction, Sean Oliver, yours truly, Transfer. The book reads a discovery called An Exceptionally Thrilling Story that builds up with a solid pace and keeps the reader immersed and emotionally invested. A four-year-old has just died in the classroom. A shocked community turns its attention to the troubled urban school for answers, and there seem to be none coming. School guidance counselor Lane Waterman, busy handling the school's grief, notices students had been transferring out of PS12 at an unusually high rate for months. Their destinations seem random, the reasons unknown. What is first suspected to be a bureaucratic conspiracy eventually reveals itself to be a far deeper and darker threat crawling through the community. Her investigation into the children's circumstances takes her far off course beyond school and into the belly of a deadly secret hidden in a forgotten urban wasteland. Can Lane put the lid on a spreading menace before the secret gets out? Turns out she's got some secrets of her own. The supernatural horror thriller will keep you guessing until the end. Step inside now. Transfer. A supernatural horror novel by Sean Oliver. Available at Amazon, on Kindle, on paperback. It's Transfer. All right. uh, Tonight's guest was uh, with me. Once for an edition of Timeline, the history of ECW, and we were set to do a uh, set to do a U shoot one time, and our schedules got crossed. It is just incredible. Are you well, my friend? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, brother? I am doing well. I am doing fine. Listen, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with my um, my stock ECW question this year so far. For anybody who's been on who worked ECW, because it's like the 25th anniversary of of Extreme Championship Wrestling, not Eastern. But um, so since it's the 25th anniversary, who do you give the anniversary card to? Uh, the franchise Shane Douglas, absolutely. Um, he was the one that really started it all. Uh, that angle was perfect. It was uh, very old school. Very much a, uh, you know, stab in the back like the old school promoters would do back in the day. And it was really one of the last defiant moments uh, in pro wrestling until it got very uh, cookie cutter. So, uh, yeah, I give it to uh, my friend, uh, the franchise. Creatively, behind the scenes, um, would would someone share uh, share that card with the uh, the on-camera guys? Like... Would it be Todd? Would it be Paulie? Would it be who? I think it would be Paulie, uh, mostly. I mean, he really was the uh, he really was ECW. 
Uh, and he was very smart on the onset of, uh, you know, uh, knowing that there was a revolving door around ECW. Uh, he made the star of the show was ECW. There were times where we would go into major markets and uh, there was not a, a lineup or a card. It was just ECW is coming to town. And that was the attraction. And that was the brilliance of Paul Heyman was, um, you know, to brand ECW as the drawing card instead of uh, one individual as, say, you know, WWE or uh, other promotions. Kind of like the McMahon model from the 80s, right? All it had to say was WWF. And, and it meant yes. something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 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 it served him well. It served him well. And, uh, and it was, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily great for the boys, but uh, for him uh, and the business model, it was. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was smart. It was a very smart deal. As a fan at that time, um, I, I'd kind of fallen out of, out of love with, with wrestling when we were forced to accept uh, plumbers and and hockey players in the ring and uh not real hockey players mind you um that would have been interesting but <laughs> so it got a little stupid and the suspension of disbelief got to be uh, a chore that seemed uh untenable then came ecw so for me as a i don't know 25 year old male I, it was something to believe in already. Of, of course, we knew that you know we knew the um, the angles were whatever, but you know I can believe in that fucking chair that he just took, and I can believe in uh, someone going over the top rope that way. What was it? Was it kind of the same for you guys too? Was was your faith in the product waning, and then this ECW thing breathed new life into it? Uh, I mean, it, it was very simple. Wrestling had hit a very dark period. Uh, I mean, WWE, and I was part of it. The new generation is what they labeled it. I was Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war. There were all kinds of Duke the Dumpster, Drozies, Mantars, yes. the Goon, uh, the Plumber, all these horrible gimmicks. Um, and uh, WCW was doing no better. Uh, the Dungeon of Doom. And I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Kevin Sullivan, but just all this hokey stuff. And what ECW did was just very simple. They just brought back real wrestling. Uh, nothing, you know, they say it, they took it to like garbage style wrestling. Yeah, there was some influences from the big Japan death style matches. Uh, but. In reality, they just brought back real wrestling, uh, wrestling from the 80s, the, the Ric Flairs, the Barry Windhams, the I Quit matches, the blood, the, the, the sacrifice, and uh, they turned it up a notch. And uh, what fans really were craving for at that moment was just a throwback to what professional wrestling used to be. Yeah. Uh, and they just uh, amped it up a notch. And uh, it was a perfect storm. For uh, for what became, you know, extreme championship wrestling. When you zoom out, like maybe twenty years from now, right, and you look at the whole wrestling landscape and start back in the fifties and sixties, take it through the eighties. What's ECW's place in in that history going to be? Is it going to be significant, or as time goes on, is it going to kind of be seen as the mouse that roared? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure. 
uh, I, I'm very biased in it because I was knee deep in it for a better half of three and a half years, probably uh, three and a half of the best years of my career, being that uh, from a creative standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from a just being able to uh, express yourself in the ring the way you wanted to, the freedom we had, um, uh, it was it was certainly special. I mean, we had breakthrough artists that to this day don't get the credit they deserve. The Rob Van Dams, the Sabus. I mean, think about it. Sabu is uh, was a once in a lifetime generational athlete uh, who came out of nowhere. I mean, he's uh, the you know the you know the nephew of the great Sheik from Detroit, and uh, he was just nobody had seen anything like him. Um, so uh, I, I think we definitely have a footprint in the business. Uh, Twenty years from now, how big, how little, I don't know. But to this day. Uh, I still work independent wrestling shows every week. And to this day, I still hear chants of, and even on AEW shows, I still hear chants of ECW. I don't hear chants of WCW or WWE or NWA. I hear ECW. So I know, I understand it's a niche thing, um, but I think I think it will stand the test of time and it will get its due uh, respect uh, whether how great or how little it will be, but it will have its its place in history. When people come up to you now, when fans come up to you, what do they what do they talk to you most about? The ECW years? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, I, I, I've had a 27 year career, um, and it's unfortunately sad to say, but most of it, like I said, three and a half, almost four years in ECW was the the, the crux of it. Uh, nobody talks about X Factor uh, when I teamed with X Pac, which, by the way, could have been a hell of a tag team. We loved working yeah. with each other. We could have been a, you know, me and Sean Waltman could have been a hell of a tag team, you know, a heel tag team, tag team champions, whatever. And, and the only reason that got squashed was uh, WCW got bought out by WWE, and then the invasion came, and that screwed up all the original booking plans because we were originally booked to. Uh, to beat the Hardys for the tag team titles. Um, so, you know, you never know, but unfortunately the, you know, uh, yeah, that's what I, uh, that is mentioned the most. And, you know, and it's unfortunate because I've been, been to all Japan, been to ring of honor, been to impact wrestling, TNA. I mean, you know, I've been to every wrestling company in the world. Uh, but those years in ECW will always be what I am most identified, you know, for good, bad or worse. Um, identified with. Yeah, it's no different than an actor, though, who who does a, a show for you know a few years, and it just nothing they ever do in the in the uh, the fan or the viewer's mind can ever uh, can ever replace the image that that uh, right. viewers right. have of that time period. Um, what's the EC? What's the rather the WWE chapter going to be called in the uh, PJ Polacco story? Well, I, I really don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. I know that um, I have a very well, you know, I'm very well, uh, good standing with the WWE. I have good relations with them. They've helped me very many times with, uh, you know, substance abuse programs, put me through rehab several times. Uh, they, you know, the, we're in contact to this day. Um, they're very generous. Um, 
whether for PR purposes or just general, you know, wellness, whatever. But uh, nonetheless, you know, they they do their due diligence. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I know I have a, a history with the WWE. I started there in 1992 as PJ Walker, uh, became Aldo Montoya in 1994 uh, through 1997. And, uh, you know, then went back in 2001, uh, you know, to 2003 as X Factor, and then went back in 2006 for the fake ECW. So, I mean, look, I, I've known, I, I was I was there at a time where, you know, I could be in a room with Vince McMahon and talk to him one on one. I mean, there are times where I requested meetings and went up to Stanford myself and sat in his office and talked to him, you know, by myself. Uh, those days are long gone. You know, uh, it's it's a big machine now and it doesn't work that way. But uh, I know the personal relationships are there. Uh, Pat Patterson, who is somebody that I love and and confide in uh and it was one of the reasons for my success uh who really helped pave the way for me as far as just teaching me and uh showing me the ways uh, and you know kind of telling you know teaching me how to 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 be a professional uh you know those guys will always be there and i know that they're a dying breed now everybody's getting older you know uh so times times are changing you know but uh could you be heard at that time you talked about like going up and talking to vince and having an audience with vince could the talent be heard would your suggestions be heard oh yeah valued yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean i you know vince vince uh i mean i was young and dumb but uh he liked that he liked the fact that you know uh, somebody would challenge him. He doesn't like people to just bow down to him. He likes people to challenge him and to to kind of uh, press him a little bit. And if you believe in something passionately enough and push, uh, you know, he'll push back. But if you have a point, he'll take that point. I mean, he's 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 a little bit nuts, but he's not unreasonable. I mean, y'all, you got to be a little crazy to run the WWE. And uh, somebody like Vince McMahon, who's been around as long as he has, uh, in the business he has, uh, through his father, through his whole family, um, you know, but Vince uh, appreciates that. And we were taught that in the old days. I mean, you know, the Vince McMahon offered me my job, and I'll never forget it. We were uh, at the Worcester, uh, uh, no, we were at, oh my God, no, Lowell Memorial Auditorium. Uh, in Massachusetts at a Monday Night Raw, and Vince pulled me aside, and I was PJ Walker, simple jobber, and he brought me outside into a balcony, mafioso style, like I, you know, he made it like I, I didn't know if I, if it was going to be a hit, you know, that's how scary he is, you know, and uh, he point, you know, being that we're at a war memorial, he points up at the flag and he goes, PJ. We're in the land of opportunity. <laughs> That's the flag, the American flag that represents opportunity. We in the WWF, we are also the land of opportunity. PJ, do you want an opportunity? And he puts his hand around me. Come on, pal. What do you say? I'm 20 fucking years old. I'm shitting my pants. I don't know if I'm going to get whacked. What's going to happen? You know? So what, what do you tell El Chapo then? What do you say? Yes, sir. Please and thank you. And uh, we went from there. 
But that's how it was then. Where nowadays, you know, uh, from what I hear, you know, top talent, it takes two, three weeks just to get a, an audience with the king. Where back then you could just say, hey, Vince, can we talk? Like, you know, I've, I've been in car rides with Vince. It was just a different, it was a different game. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. cor- it wasn't corporate. The money wasn't the same. It was very much, um, you know, old school territory shit, you know? And, uh, but uh, he was always, you know, one thing I must say about Vince is crazy. And is, uh, the, all the things that people say, he was ultimately always fair because he never asked you to do anything he would not do himself. And that's a shoot, you know? Mm-hmm. Really? Where, so, where do you stand on their product today? Uh, I can't stand it. I can't stand it, man. And it's not because the guys, because um, I see some of the best uh, in-ring professional wrestling of anywhere in the world. I really do. Uh, the guys and gals work so hard. And and one thing I don't like, this is one thing as a, as a 27-year performer in the business i mean these kids are coming out of these matches bloody mouths bloody lips noses like they're all jacked up they're stiffing the hell out of each other but they're not getting anywhere uh they're not relaying the message they're not getting over i think that um there's some kind of disconnect to uh, essentially what they're doing in the ring that is not coming across on screen I think it's way too micromanaged. I think they're trying to loosen up a little bit on that now. But uh, they, they have a real problem with um, connecting to what professional wrestling is becoming today. Who should take the reins there? After, I mean, obviously Triple H is there now, but, but should Shane have a role there? Who, who would be the ideal... No. I don't think, I mean, uh, again, nothing against Shane. Uh, he's, of course, uh, you know, he's, he's, Shane's always been, Shane's been the coolest of the McMahons, by the way. If any, if you ask anybody, Shane is the coolest and nicest of the McMahons. Um, he's very kind. He's very generous. He's, uh, you know, uh, he's a really good dude. And he champions everybody that works hard. But unfortunately, he doesn't have any power. Um I think it's 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 the power couple of Stephanie and Hunter. Um, Hunter, uh, I, I will give you that he loves pro wrestling, and he, you know, he's very much in the in the mindset of you know let's do what's best for business. But I think even himself has he, he's lost his way of even knowing what is best for business these days. I I just think that. Uh, when you listen, when you're in power that long and you're looking at it from the top of the mountain, you lose uh, perspective. Sometimes you need to get down in the trenches to really understand what is what the fans want, what, yeah. what, what, what's really popping, what's 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 happening, what the, what do the fans really want? Um, and uh, I, I think he's starting to lose grips with it a little. But I think that, uh, essentially that's who it's going to be. There's no one else, really. Yeah. Know? But I mean, like a magic wand scenario, like you could you could put anyone there and, and it would happen, fairy tale style. Who? Who? Austin. No. Who? 
who knows who knows how to jumpstart it? Look, I mean, Austin. No, I mean they all know how to jumpstart it, but it's a bit. Di- it's it's a huge difference between uh, when that light turns red on that camera to do your shit than it is to plan it out and intricately. Like uh, I do a podcast with Vince Russo every Friday. We review AEW Dynamite. And one thing I've learned, and a lot of times I disagree, but I've learned to respect and understand how much writers do um, have a place in episodic television. Because at the end of the day, you know, it is a show. It's a show you're writing week to week that has to have hooks, that has to have continuity, and that has to keep characters, you know, all different, not just the top guys now, all the middle guys, all the, you know, has to have the whole roster moving. And that's a very difficult task. You know, um, there's no show on earth like that. Uh, Sitcoms have six month hiatuses to write the next six, you know, yeah, to write the next six months. Sure. Where, where they're literally writing, you know, week to week based on fan reaction, based on attendance, based on what, you know, who's injured, who's not, what, what the deal is. So, um, it, it's very unique. So, uh, I, I don't know who is, I think they need a good team. I don't know who their team is. I have no idea, but I'll tell you one thing. A lot of people are, you know, have always been down on Vince Russo and, I don't, I, I don't know much about his, you know, I know some of the shit he did and in WCW and in TNA and stuff that gets blasted. But one thing I do know is he knows how to write television and he's not looking for a job. Don't get me wrong. This is not where I'm going with this, but I'm saying they need people that understand because he was there at the height of the attitude era where there were, you know, four or 5 million fans on the wwe side alone watching not to mention what wcw was doing um and there's there's a huge discrepancy i know that streaming services and you know illegal downloads believe me i don't pay for and i'm embarrassed to say this because i'm an artist and i believe in getting paid but all my pay-per-views i illegally stream <laughs> i'm not paying 50 bucks for a pay-per-view it's not doing it and, you know, unfortunately, uh, I think uh, we have to get to a point where we need to understand what is going to take to fill in these gaps and to to get fans back to must see television, you know, like, OK, they popped a rating on Smackdown. Oh, no, it wasn't Smackdown. I, I believe it was Raw with uh, Goldberg coming you know, and stuff like that. You know, they, they got a couple hundred thousand extra people. That's great. But you know, how do you build upon that? Yeah. And why, and why are you giving us attitude era stars like the undertaker who again are not going to, our undertaker wanted to retire in 97 when I was Aldo, he would always tell me, PJ, I'm, I'm hurting, bro. Got one more year in me, man. I'm like, okay, Mark, Still doing it. Hell, I'm done. He's still doing it. You know? 
Yeah, so I mean, they like, just they get desperate to, for that 200,000 people, like you were saying, and, and they can't do it with the storyline. No. So no. they have the stunt casting, you know? It's like... Well, I, but there's nobody... Look, Seth Rollins, all these guys, amazing wrestlers, better than I ever, but better than I ever was. All these guys, better than I... Again, I'm not downing their talent. They're all better than me. Uh, from a physicality standpoint, from a work rate. I mean, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent. I mean, don't get me wrong. I go with those guys, but from the, for the most part, these guys are talented guys that could go, but the booking is just, has not been, something hasn't been passed down the line um, where the, tor- it's, it's like to say the torch has not been passed properly because if the torch was passed properly, we wouldn't need uh, HBK. We wouldn't need Stone Cold. We wouldn't need Undertaker at WrestleMania. We wouldn't need Goldberg or Sting or whoever they pull out of their hat this year. You know what I mean? You yeah. would have, you know, Seth Rollins to me is has become uh, like I almost want to change the channel every time he comes on, and but, he's good. But don't you think that 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 that's that's partially. I think it's partially because a lot of these guys, PJ, are just not as interesting. And I'm not talking about what goes on in the ring, and I'm not talking about how many false finishes there are. Right. There are people who, and they used to call it X Factor in old Hollywood, you just wanted to watch someone more yeah. than someone else. It's cruel because it's nothing that can be taught and it's a, a very dismissive thing to say like well he's got it you don't but I mean people wanted to watch Piper. People wanted to watch certain people because they were just so interesting. Are the yeah. are the athletes who are becoming wrestlers just not as interesting as the folks that were one paycheck away from the carnival? No, I believe that they're just not given the opportunity because let me tell you something. You let me loose on a live camera, okay? Like Paul Heyman let me loose, and you know, I, there's not, you know, I'm just again, it's this is we're spitballing here, okay? This, uh, you know, I'm not comparing myself to anybody, but he would allow us to just go. And man, there is just something when you have a live microphone. And no, 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 you know, no net underneath. Right. And you could just say, hey, you know, you could say anything. And that danger, that that charisma, what made Steve Austin, uh, if you go back and listen, I did two Steve Austin podcasts. I don't know if it was number one or number two, but no, I, one of them, he said that uh, I helped make his character because, um, you know, I allowed him to shoot on me and to start when he was the ringmaster, when he started to do his Stone Cold gig. And uh, a lot of the stuff we, you know, I, I, we allowed, I allowed him, well, you know, we worked together, but I allowed him to just go for it, dude, you know, have fun, you know, make fun of me, do, do, do you, you know, and Vince didn't know about this. And the only reason it got by was because uh, Vince would cut a lot of times, would edit the stuff Steve would do uh, in pre-tapes back in the old days when there were pre-tapes. 
And uh, Steve would smartened up real quick and started to do it live. So we worked quite a bit uh, in the old days. And when Steve got on the live mic, he just started doing Stone Cold on Aldo. And again, it's not about Aldo. Just I just happened to be in the ring. I just happened to be the target. And But he became that guy because he got that opportunity to just play. Play in the sandbox. But how many of See those what, guys could do that, though? Even if you gave them the freedom, uh, how many, I mean, how many Fandangos and Seth Rollinses could be as interesting as, you know, a Steve Austin or a Pampiro Furpo? I don't know. I mean, that I don't know. I, 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 I certainly know if you gave me a live microphone, I knew I wouldn't know what to do with it. But you're of a different time. That's what I'm saying is you guys yeah. got into business. You wanted to be wrestlers. You didn't want a conduit to be, to be an actor or a singer or be on television in a sitcom. You wanted to be a wrestler, period. Right, right, right. And, and maybe that's the case. I mean, I, I don't know, but it's not that hard because, you know, what you want to do is, you know, if you gave me a live microphone and you gave me a target, I would... uh you know, you would keep it always respectful and you would, of course, you know, check with the guy you're working with and say, look, I'm going to say some things. Is this cool? Is this not cool? But then you're going to go, you're going to go, you know, break kayfabe a little bit. You're going to go down that, that place. You're going to get dirty and you're going to get real. And there's nothing, dude, there's nothing like real emotion because I could I'll tell you one thing. I could turn it up from zero to 10 in two seconds. And I can make you believe I'm a complete animal and I will rip your heart out, you know? And unfortunately these guys are just sitting here on television. Well, you know, at money in the bank, I'm coming and you know what I mean? Scary. You know? And, and uh, I, I, I don't know. It's just a different time. Yeah. And I think rest, wrestling needs to, uh, at least think about changing the way it produces its shows for me, at least for me, for this fan. What do young people ask you about now when they say workers, when workers come up to you backstage, what do they ask you about uh, from a working standpoint, other than how the rats were at the travel lodge? What do they want to <laughs> know uh, about the in-ring stuff? Uh, you know what? Unfortunately, they don't they don't ask the right questions at all. That's the scary part. Uh, they should be asking questions about uh, psychology and and uh, they're more worried about um, you know move sets and reversals and uh, what what could I, you know how many bumps could I take or you know flips. Um, and, you know, wrestling. Listen, there's there's. Jerry Lynn and I, and, and Jerry, even, even greater, Jerry Lynn and Rob Van Dam had some epic matches in ECW. But the thing about it was it was very, very real to a point where, you know, some people, you know, Jerry got fucked up, you know. I mean, there was, it was real hardcore stuff. But uh, it becomes the reality of this is a fight. I could fake a good fight. You know, I could fake a good fight, but you got to make it look like a fight. And I could make it, I could make you believe I'm fighting you. Mm -hmm. I could look you dead. I could look you dead in your eye right now and approach you and, and, and scare the bejesus out of you thinking I'm going to rip your throat out right now. 
And then when I put my hands on you, I can make it in a safe way, make it look very believable. And then you and, and your retort would be able to do the same thing in your counter. It's not that hard. There's just no intensity anymore. People are just so willing to let's dive around a little bit, get to the next spot. You know, let's we're working from A, a B, C, D. You're almost connecting the dots instead of let's just go. Yeah. Let's go. It doesn't mean you can't have those spots. Doesn't mean you can't do those awesome moves because you can, but um, you're missing a, a, a sense of urgency uh, and nobody sells anymore either. Uh, Jim Ross, man, if you really, if you watch AEW and you listen to Jim Ross, boy, he can't contain himself. You know, he, 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 he tries, he tries real hard, but he buries the product because he can't help himself. I remember one time watching a match and he goes, Oh my God, I can't believe it. A damn wrestling match just broke out. Yeah. Yeah, You know, he just, it's, we're in the business of pro wrestling and it's like, we've lost, we've lost touch with what we are. And if you don't know what we are, then how are we going to go forward and, and proceed? How often did you, how much, I should say, did you listen to the crowd? Um, you know, we hear about its importance from a, uh, from a psychology standpoint, but you can't, you also can't let them dictate your match. No. Uh, I listen to the crowd all the time. I mean, I, I, here's, here's the way I, I personally have all, most of my matches uh, structured. Um, I have a beginning, which is usually, you know, pretty pretty you know s- scripted you know like i have a, a good idea of where i'm going what i'm going to do um the middle is just feel it just go out there and feel it understand what 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 is uh what the fans are asking you for because realistically i mean you you the fans are going to tell you is it, if it's working if it's not working and it's not that hard, bro. It is actually so. It's so much easier because if you have a whole match planned out, right, and um, and if something is going wrong or if something is just not working at all, what do you do? You're stuck. You're stuck. You're just going to go through the motions, and it's going to keep being the shits because they're not biting. So what I like to do is have a nice beginning. And then a nice ending with false, because of course you need false finishes. You need, you know, intricate finishes back and forth. I get that. That's, that's in wrestling. That's what it is today. It's what it always was really. Um, and, uh, but in the middle, that's where you create the magic. You can't tell me when you saw Flair Steamboat, those like one hour matches, those 45 minute matches, those back and forth chops, those, uh, you know, false finishes where you shoot him into the ropes, he sunset flips, you roll through, they do the bridge into the backslide. I can call, you can call all that in the ring. I mean, mm. you know, and, and the chops back and forth, you can't plan that. And I know today for a fact, you go into a WWE arena before Raw, they're literally going, well, I'll take you into the far right corner, give you three punches not two not 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 two not two punches three 
then I'll shoot, you reverse, I'll stop. You know what I mean? That shit don't work. It looks mechanical. It, it, wrestling should be a pseudo shoot. Yeah. Like, and what I mean by that is, okay, like fantasy rules. Like, okay, it's not real, but there are certain rules we must adhere by. And there's a code. So let's play by that code. Um, so to me, it's like all hands on deck, dude. I, I mean, I could, I could play all day without even saying one word, you know, I mean, I'll call it in the ring, but I like, uh, people are very uncomfortable with not knowing what to do next. And that to me is like, let the, let it, let, if you're a real seasoned professional, let the situation present itself because there might be one fan out there. That's saying something that's that may, hey, light bulb goes off. Yeah. That's something I can go with. Okay. Like every night is different. You know, Philadelphia is going to be different than New York. New York's going to be different than LA. So let's just play, man. And kids, kids don't understand how to just play. It's improvisation. I mean, you know, it's jazz, not the pop music. Yes. You know, it's, it's improvisational, like comedy, like jazz like anything you know your craft and you should be able to riff off each other yep very simply and, and be able to trust in one another and normally we do and then the, and the good guys the guys that do it well i can go into a ring i know we're old now okay shane douglas is 55 i'm 47 we can go into a ring as old as we are and still uh you know, put on a 30 minute match of complete improvisational bullshit that will somehow get the crowd in a frenzy. And yes, it may not look as pretty as Kenny Omega and those guys. I get it. I understand. Trust me, I'm not delusional. But not, what I'm saying is the process of getting it, uh, of getting that moment, of right. being able to, to feed off of that and get it going. You know, and those guys are scared. They're scared of that because they don't know it. They're afraid to take that leap of faith, you know. Switch gears here for a second, uh, PJ. You have been very public about your struggles with addiction. Yes. Now, that that decision alone to open that part of your world to everybody, to all of us, um, you know, as a father and, and a husband and, and to let everybody into that, how was, how long did you have to think about that before you decided that we had any business in that part of your life? Well, I mean, I guess for me, uh, I was so tormented by it all because I mean, deep down inside, I'm a very, I, I like to believe at least that I'm a very good human being. And I'm a very caring uh, friend, comrade, you know, uh, partner in the business, whatever. I'm a very good person. I, I never lied. Like, I don't steal. I don't cheat. Like, you know, seriously, I'm a, I'm a good man. Um, and it, it You'll felt, never be a promoter, just so you know. No, I won't. <laughs> but uh, I, I just felt um, somehow a... I know I had to own it. I had to own it, you know, uh, almost maybe 
to make myself accountable um, in a way. Um, I was a heroin addict from 2006 to 2009. Um, and it started through Oxycontin and pain pills uh, even earlier. Um, and then after I got clean from all those opioids and stuff like that, um, I became, because I didn't think it was, you know, hey, it's legal, I started drinking. You know, I don't feel dirty going to a package store like everybody else getting a bottle of wine or something, you know? So I became an alcoholic. Um, but deep down inside, I knew I was doing something wrong. And uh, it was just a way to uh, just, a, you know, uh, uh, look, people are going to find out anyways. People are going to talk shit and people are going to, to know. And I, I figured I'd get out in front of it and be mm. public about it. And I'm not perfect. I struggle every day. I struggle every single day. But, uh, you know, all, all I could say is I'm doing the best I can. Um, and I'm well today, you know, and not to get into that AA stuff. But uh, today's a good day. And uh, hopefully tomorrow will will be as well, you know. And, uh, you know, I think I'm out of the weeds so well, you sound you sound great. You sound like a million bucks. I've I've I've, I've talked to you over the years, and and you really do sound good. No, I I, I really am. Uh, my my head's got to be on straight, man. I like I said, I have this, uh, you know, stories from the extreme, uh, the whole effing truth dot com. Um, that's my baby. Um, I'm me and uh, my business partner Danny Spring. We're we're promoting these three. We have three shows so far. Uh, New Britain, Connecticut, April 18th. Binghamton, New York, uh, Jan, uh, June 13th. And the Carlson Comedy Club, June 14th. Those are the three dates. And we're getting requests left and right. Come to Philadelphia. Come all over the place. And uh, we're just trying to get these three out the gate. Make sure that there is a an audience. <laughs> Um, which is important, especially when your money is on the line, and also that it's 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 feasible, it's viable, and um, and it and it simply all started on a on a, a simple tour that uh, I uh, I live in Connecticut, right, and I drove down to Sandman's house in Philadelphia. We had a tour of North Carolina, so my wife drove me down to Sandman's house in Philly. Uh, so she drops me off and Sandman goes and we meet Shane in Pittsburgh. So we all hook up and this is many, many, many thousands of miles of driving. Um, and all three of us are in a car going to North Carolina. And I'm thinking in my head, the stories we're telling. I mean, these are things that nobody's heard. These are things that the fans would just, you know, would salivate over uh, just really amazing, fun stories, uh, stories that would really identify the time period and the whole movement, really. And I was like, you know, I didn't say it at the time, but in my in my own head, I was like, you know, wow, why can't we do what Mick Foley's doing mm -hmm. or Jim Ross is doing? You know, I know that. uh one like me doing it by myself wouldn't be a draw. Shane might not be a draw. Sandman might not be a draw. But the three of us as a collective, like I said, 
with Paul Heyman, the branding of the, the, the brand. So brand it the extreme brand. And um, all of us tell a story, you know, and then do Q&A and all that. And uh, it got traction and, and, it, and, it's, and, and we went with it. And right now, man, it's 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 taken off. It's really taken off. Let's let everyone know that that is uh, April eighteenth. It's New Britain, Connecticut. Doors open at six o'clock. There's a VIP meet and greet that you can get in on at six thirty. The show's seven o'clock. You can get all the details at www.thewholeffintruth.com. So make sure, you, and you could also go see PJ on March twenty eighth in uh, where are we here? Bayville, New Jersey. Yes. The Rise of the Titans. You'll be there with J.J. Dillon, Arn Anderson, Nyla Rose. Where do you stand on that whole deal? Hey, man. Uh, on the Nyla Rose thing? Yeah. Um, to be honest, uh, a that little work. confused. A little confused. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pro, you know... LBGT alphabet people thing. Uh, and I hate to be insensitive, but my daughter, uh, who's 15 years old, uh, is actually going through a similar struggle. So I empathize. I'm not uh, being insensitive, just so people know. Uh, she's dealing with something of that nature. Um, so I'm not insensitive. But what my problem is that it's, you know, uh, even though it's a word, it's a word. The only reason I don't I don't find it that egregious is because it is a worked sport. Um, if it was a real sport, I right. would have a real problem. If it was a real sport, I would have a real problem just because of genetics, uh, DNA. You can't, you know what I mean? You can't, you can't change DNA. You know what I mean? Men are just built differently than women being that it's a worked sport. It is what it is. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. But nonetheless, I'm not a hater, nor am I transphobic or anything of that nature. I just find it, uh, you know, a little questionable. And my daughter will probably get hot at me if she listens to this. But uh, nonetheless. Uh, it, well, listen, you know, though. What, what is it doing, though? What is it doing that nothing has been able to do for the last 20 goddamn years in wrestling? <sighs> It's making people talk about wrestling, argue about wrestling, fight about, be genuinely impassioned. Not, oh, I hope he wins the title tonight. But wrestlers are talking about this. Fans are talking about it. Wrestlers are, are fighting with fans about it. It lit a fire. This is what yes. has to happen today. It's not all oh, this worker stole this worker's girlfriend on TV. It's this kind right. of stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I, and, and I and I very much agree with you. And like I said, I, I in no means am I am I hating on anybody. I just think it's it's an interesting thing and it's an interesting conversation. But in a way, um, it almost should make Nyla Rose a heel because she obviously has an advantage if it was real, right? Yeah, that'll probably come down the pike, don't you think? I don't know. I don't know if they're going to go that way. I certainly know. That they hired her for a reason. Yeah. Well, because she'll be there too. She'll be there on March twenty eighth with PJ. Maybe there, the two of you can have a match. Not a chance. She'll kill me. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean it's just you know it is what it is. But uh, I, I I just uh, you know hey man times are changing and if we don't stay you know we don't change with the times 
we lose, I guess, right? <laughs> well, I'd be I'd be remiss if we didn't uh, reach out to Twitter here before we finish up and have the uh, world have their uh, shot at you here, PJ. Um, Go ahead. Chris Z wants to know which is more hardcore, Danbury or Waterbury? Uh, definitely Waterbury. If uh, if you knew anything about Waterbury, it is the worst. And and you know what? The SCU does this gimmick. The worst town ever. If you remember correctly, in 1997, I used to wear a shirt called I Hate This Town. So gimmick infringement, I say. <laughs> uh, but Waterbury, Connecticut is the cesspool of life. So there you go. Okay. Danbury's actually much more upscale. Keith Gamret asks, did Rob Van Dam ever bend your ear about your life in Ozone Park due to his infatuation with the mob? Ozone Park was ground zero for many mobsters in the 70s and 90s. Rob is a bit of a mob aficionado. Um, I've enjoyed talking to him about that. Um, unfortunately, I don't know anything about Ozone Park. I was born in Waterbury, Connecticut. Ozone Park was a fictional hometown so i i don't think i've ever even been there okay (laughs) (laughs) salvatore martone asks why aldo why that particular name was it pat vince or you that came up with it i take interest because that's my dad's name yo um i i don't know i think it was wwe creative uh originally uh pat and vince brought me in uh especially pat patterson he was a good friend of mine uh, and to this day, dear friend, um, Aldo was a soccer player, not what you saw originally, uh, because the World Cup was coming around in those days. And Aldo had long hair, number 24 soccer jersey, soccer shorts, and a soccer ball. And I was supposed to be a football player. And Aldo as, is actually an Italian name. So I don't understand where they got that for a Portuguese name. But the point was they were supposed to be business was bad in the States. They were trying to go overseas to Brazil, which is a Portuguese speaking country, which, of course, I speak fluent Portuguese. I am Portuguese. So they thought Aldo was uh, was the way to go. Wow. Yeah. Again, misinformation by by the office. Uh, Found Objects asks, uh, being a tough guy, what scene from a movie will guaranteed to get you choked up? I think he's asking you, not me. What scene from a movie will get me choked up? uh, Oh, you know what actually got me choked up? When when, uh, Kylo Ren killed Han Solo. That's, yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Star Wars. That is such a product of your age. I could have guessed 47 if you didn't even tell me based on that being a Star Wars answer. Yeah, yeah I literally choked up. My son is like, "Dad, are you crying?" I'm like, "No, no. What are you talking about?" Yeah, I'm a tool. Sorry. Fire <laughs> Jeff British asks, "F Mary Kill, Daphne Beulah Francine." Hmm. I would love to be with uh, uh, Daphne. Mm, she just seems so sexy. So that's the F or the Mary? That's the F. That's the F. Mar- okay. Mary Francine, because she's awesome. She's a very nice lady. Yeah. And kill? You got to kill Beulah. It's just by process of elimination. Well, she's Dreamer's girl, so 
Yeah, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want to do anything disrespectful. <laughs> Listen, we've covered it all, PJ. We've uh, been around the block here. Let's uh, let's tell them one more time. Uh, now you you have the podcast too. We should get that in there. You're working with Vince on yes. Fridays, right? Yeah, uh, we work uh, every Friday at 10 a.m. We go live on Twitch for uh, free for the first 10 minutes. But we have a Patreon uh, account. Uh, it's Truth with Consequences. Uh, Patreon backslash Truth with Consequences. Um, and we do an AEW review show every Friday. It's it's kick ass. Um, and we, we have a really great time doing it. And also follow me on social media on Twitter at PJ Polacco and also on Instagram at PJ Polacco. And guys, one thing, please, if you're in the Northeast, go to the whole All the details are there. Please, $25 general admission show of a lifetime. Guarantee you it'll be something you will never forget. And I would really it would be really appreciated if you at least checked it out. It's, it's going to be badass. So, uh, you know, that's that's what I got. All right, you heard it here. You enjoy podcasting? You like? That? I can't stand this. You like it? I love it. Okay. I love it. I just want to talk about other things other than wrestling. I want to do like a Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, I like try. I, have- I try. you know what? Fans are so fickle. They they live in a world that I've had the son of a Cuban assassin on a bomber. I I just fucking the the ratings always dip. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I want to do something like that so bad. I know. You know, I I just want to talk to normal people about awesome things and um wrestling fans just want wrestling all right thank you to pj otherwise known as just incredible a good guy a good guy um let's get to twitter let me promise you some of that salvatore martone he's a fan of yours he said your name on his podcast. With that prefaced, when is Steve Austin going to be in the podcast? I'm going to at him to put him on notice. Well, listen, I I think that this is imminent. I absolutely think this is imminent. Listen, in the way that Bruce Springsteen shows up at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park and plays to 200 people every once in a while, Steve Austin should be on this goddamn podcast. Steve Austin should be on this podcast. Not about the size of my podcast. It's about him doing it. Looks good for everybody. He knows he would he knows I would have a, a stellar interview, a better interview with him than anybody that's interviewed him. I, I'm gonna go on record and say that right now. What the hell would we talk about? Because I don't want to sit and talk about The Undertaker for an hour. I don't, what would I talk to Steve about? We have very little in common. I think he hunts, right? He hunting outdoorsman i go outdoor i go to my car outdoors i walk down the steps to the car i'm outdoors for about a few minutes i'm outdoors in my yard i I lay by my pool i lay on my deck i go down into the pool i smoke a cigar it's mostly laying and floating is my outdoor activity i don't know we can compare notes on that though maybe he looks like he might have a cigar now and again. We'll talk about cigars for an hour. Fuck it. Come on, Steve. Enough. Uh, found objects. What stereotypes about wrestlers and their behavior? 
are especially true and which ones are especially false? Did any surprise you as you got to know wrestlers more personally? Very good one. Um, the fanny pack is a real thing. Uh, look no further than uh, Super Agent Eric Sims for the fanny pack. Um, and a lot of wrestlers uh, I've known do it. It's, 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 you know what, though? It's a, it's a generational thing. Cody is not going to have the fanny pack. But Terry Funk, if you run into him, is, is in full effect with the fanny pack today, 2020. Any of these guys would be in full effect with the fanny pack uh, from that era, I think. Um, so, so that happens. Um, what is also true, and it says which ones are especially false. Um, a lot of these guys are very normal in their, uh, in their like, like you expect a lot of them to be Hellions and, and Hellraisers at the bar, and uh, so many of them are very quiet. Uh, they prefer to sit down, uh, do their own thing, and uh, and that's it. Um, okay, what are some things that are true? They, I get the sense every time I'm talking to uh, to some of them that they're working. They're working everything. All the, they're constantly working. Even when sitting at dinner, they they're working. They'll tell you a story. They'll work the fucking gate. If there's no camera, they'll talk. They'll say you're thirty-seven thousand people turned away that night. They'll work the gate when I'm sitting there having, you know, fucking brisket with them. So there, a lot of them are working all the time. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of something else. I don't know if it comes to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just throw it out there. But as far as stereotypes of wrestlers, I there are there are very few that I found to be a problem. Even guys that were guarded. T- Tully Blanchard was a guarded guy. And so getting getting him to open up in the interview was a process. So that's... I kind of come to expect that. Would you call that a stereotype? I don't know. I, 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 let's just go with the fanny pack for now. Let's go with the fanny pack. Chris Z. In my opinion, the whole Fred's wife and Tony and Tina's wedding saga... Uh, the best stern arc of the 90s. I remember being in college and not wanting to go to class to hear what would happen next. What are your top stern moments that were more than just a guest interview? Uh, there's a lot. Anything that re- that revolved around Jackie and the jetty in the water, anything, anything that revolved around Jackie and Nancy Sirianni's music career, the the producing of her records and uh, at, at Jackie's Dime, and and Howard's uh, discussed at it. Anything anything related to the Martling Sirianni household was was gold to me. Any any time they were on that, and I was particularly a fan back in the day of any of the infighting that happened, like an, an office infighting incident about Howard's potato from like 1995 with Gorilla and the potato. The the It's very important. Um. Any of that shit was great. I loved all that stuff. But you're talking about an arc, so something that like carried through multiple episodes. Um, the definitely the uh, definitely the uh, the Martling Sirianni thing. I miss Jackie. I just miss it. I have to say, you know, Artie was Artie was good for that period, but the but the Jackie show because Howard changed a lot too. But so the Jackie show that era was particularly special. It was irreverent. 
we were still on the outsider's team. Okay, we were still on the underdog's team. It wasn't Hollywood Howie. It, he, we could, he was still relatable. His anger was relatable to us. And now he, apolo- he has apologized in the last year and a half or whatever since the release of his book for everything that we fell in love with. So I, I don't know what's there anymore. Thus all of us divorcing the show. Sad. Sad, I tell you. But listen, another week comes to a close. Thank uh, thank PJ, my guest this week. Just incredible. Listen, you can become a patron of the show, okay? Patreon slash Kayfabe Podcast. Not begging for money, but it's a dollar ninety nine for God's sakes. Monthly subscription. Help produce the show. Help produce the show. Help get this stuff out there. Who came aboard? Let's let's throw out some of the people recently coming aboard here real quick. Joseph Murray comes aboard this month. Uh, Matthew Robinson comes aboard this month. And uh, some of our longest standing. Uh, Evan Shearer also, by the way, came, up, came aboard this month. Uh, some of the long-standing people. Too many to name. I'll just throw a few out there. Been here since the beginning. Subscribers Alyssa in Chains, Harrison Lee, Coltar Man, Matt Cardone, Patrick Corbett, Paul Rogers, Ralph Ramirez, Salvatore Martone, Todd Mogul, Tyson Brown, others as well. If I skipped you, I apologize. Join them. Help produce the show. Listen, the shit, the shit ain't free, okay? It's free for you to sit there on your ass and listen to it. You ungrateful prick, you. The show's been a production of Sean Oliver Media. All rights reserved. Copyright 2020. Music by the great Kevin McLeod. We'll see you guys next week. Ciao.